Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 343 Podcast, where we work tirelessly to elevate the level of discourse and practitionership here in American soccer. In this episode, I'm joined by John Kokoris, a soccer colleague out in New York who has had quite a bit of success with the youth there. It's his second time on the pod, the first being way back in episode 157, so he's been in and around for a while, and I've certainly kept tabs on what he's been up to. Again. Without any preparation, this is an off-the-cuff chat that touched on a few things. One, on whether this generation of U.S. national team players are better than the previous generations. A good topic that's not only top of mind for so many in the American soccer community, but is also evergreen if we're smart about it and think about what are good principles when trying to do comparisons. We also talk a bit about whether money, i.e. large salaries, are impacting player performances or not. And we also give some insight into a couple techniques or tools that could be valuable in helping one to discern truth from fiction when judging players, teams, or games. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. And now, a quick few second mentions on what sponsors this episode. It's the best way to support the podcast, but more important, greatly improve your current soccer situation. First, if you're a coach, you've got to check out 343coaching.com. There are both free and premium programs for you there. The premium program in particular gives you full access to watch and listen to players, teams, and coaches in the real-life training environment. Now, what I mean by that is that the film and audio are not staged or scripted, such as what you would get at a conference or a typical course or video online. No, no, no. You get to be a legit fly-on-the-wall and steady Brian who basically helped pioneer a seismic shift in American soccer on how to develop youth players at every level. Among the many now professional players who were under his direct tutelage across many teams, one team in particular, which he started at U10 and led through U19, really stands out. Over a handful of players on that team became professionals. It's incredible work. And the actual training of that team and those players is what you get to use to catapult your coaching. Okay, second, let's say you're not a coach, but you're a parent of a youth player looking for how to best put them on a proper path. The solution for you guys is at 343masterclass.com. And third, if you'd consider going to a private school for academics, either here in the States or in Europe, that also has an integrated soccer program, you should check out acceleratorschool.com. Critically important, the solutions for coaches, for parents, and for players are offered from people who have actually done the work and have an unprecedented track record in the United States. All right, I hope you enjoy this episode. We're just scratching the surface here, folks, but it's an important starting point for us to further expand down the line. I've said out loud in my personal life, and I've said it on the internet a few times, when it comes down to like raw sport, when it comes down to like com human competition, the way that the modern soccer game is today, it's just theater, man. Like a lot, at the top level, like these guys are getting paid 370 grand a week, you know? And like, it's hard to, to um, there's like an old boxing saying that says it's hard to get out of bed uh, and train when you're in silk pajamas. So I think that that kind of diseases the game at the top level, especially all these kids. Like, watch that kid. Look at Endrick today, sixteen-year-old, never played a 
game in Europe, um, what kind of money is he about to get? So it's like, I, you know, and I don't want to like kind of knock the game that I love, but it's kind of fucked up. It's not a, let me, let me hear your thoughts on like, what do you think about what I'm saying before I, I kind of hit you with the real, the real. Yeah, for me, it's multifaceted case by case basis. So for instance, because you've been working in youth soccer here in the States for a long time. So you hear and read a lot of generalizations uh, either online or in person with the people that you work with, with the families that you work with, you name it, the clubs that you engage with. There's a lot of generalizations, but most of the time, I think you would probably agree. So many things are case by case. So going to what you're saying about so much money in the game, and if you're making a ton of money, the silk pajama analogy, I think that's true many times, but many times probably not true. And I think it depends. So for example, I've worked with players who are very young, relatively speaking, and had big contracts and were making a lot of money and they got a lot of that silk pajama syndrome and that caused problems uh, for their progression. Because right. if you're not playing, if you're on the bench or if you're getting limited minutes or whatever the case may be, the attitude is like, I'm getting paid anyways. Like, so what does it matter? Um, and can a player change that attitude? I think so, but it's very hard if they don't correct it right away. And then there are other players, I think, John, like Messi's case, or you look at these elite sort of players. I mean, once you make a ton of money, I think life becomes about something else. Correct. Legacy. Legacy. You, you, you get your motivation, not for money. You get, you, there's something else driving you. So I don't think money drives Messi. You see, I don't, th I don't think money drives so many of these guys. If you look at the Argentine national team, I think so much of it is in the heart, in the blood, in wearing the Albi Celeste, you know, wearing, wearing the jersey, yeah. bleeding for it. You're going to ruin my point before I get started. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, because it's case by case. Yeah, it, yeah. it truly is. So, all right. So what I'm trying to say is like, let's say Messi, there's been games. I mean, I, you know, I don't, I'm not, I don't live in the guy's head, but there's been games where that guy didn't give a hundred percent. I think we could both agree. Right. I don't know if that's true. You think there's, you think that, and like you play 70 games a year, you don't think there's one or two where he's like, I should probably sit the bench today. I, I didn't sleep well last night. I'm not operating at a hundred percent. Like, I should probably just rest and then I'll be hundred percent Wednesday night in the champions league. No, I, I, I don't think he does that. You think he's always operating at hundred percent? I think, well, I don't think anybody's really operating at hundred percent. It's hard to be that efficient, but I don't think he has such a severe dip in his motivation and, and what he's trying to accomplish on the field Okay. that, that one can say, ah, it's cause he's making a lot of money. That's why he's kind of like taking a day off sort of thing. So. Maybe, maybe, maybe this, maybe the following thing is true is because this is a narrative that exists every four years when the World Cup is coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That a lot of the star players for their countries kind of take their foot off the pedal in their club games in the months leading up to the World Cup to kind of try and avoid injury or strain or those sorts of things. That's been a recurring theme, but it's, but it's for competition's sake. It's for what's coming. It's not because they're eating with a silver spoon. Right. So for me, the only sport on the planet that you have to give 100% every single time that you step in, in the arena is combat sport. There's nothing like it. 
because if Messi does, let's just say for sake of argument, Neymar, he goes to the field and he's like, you know what, fuck it. Like, I already have my club picked out tonight. I already know what I'm going to eat. You know, the girl I'm going to see. Right. So he's gone 65, 70 percent. Right. And then you take a guy, a boxer or, you know, a, a, an MMA fighter. If he goes into an arena going 90 percent and he gets head kicked, he might not see his kids the next day. He might be dead. Right. So you're kind of forced. It's it's real animalistic competition. I've always loved it, but not like with the way the game has gone in the last 20 years with all the money. It's kind of like I look at soccer as theater and the adult level right, as theater. And then I look at sport as like hand-to-hand -hand combat. And for the first time in since probably uh, I was jaded <laughs> by that kind of uh, outlook, I see this Argentine national team, man. And it's the first time I could recall a team that's fighting. And it's their, you could see it in their faces. They have different facial expressions than their opponent. They, they're not a dominant side by any stretch. There's much more talented teams in the World Cup, I think. And you just have guys that you saw Otamendi take the ball to the face. Like, we've seen him do that for Manchester City, right? But just that little, um, that little example, like, he literally will die as long as he ends up in folklore for bringing this guy the World Cup. And you have kids... You know, you've seen the pictures on the internet with Julian Alvarez and DePaul and all these guys that, like, they grew up six, seven, eight years old with Messi on their wall, right? So he swung, he missed. In, the, in, the, in, in 2014, he missed at the end of the day. He did not win the trophy. There was a winner and there was a loser. He did not win the trophy, right? And these guys have a chance to put to, to forever and ever and ever put this guy as to make him like undoubtedly the greatest player to ever play the game right because right now if he doesn't win the world cup in my opinion which means you know i'm one guy he's probably the greatest player to ever play the game i didn't see Pelé, you know i didn't see croy for maradona like game by game by game week in week out but these guys have a chance to give him the trophy, which will turn him into the Babe Ruth, the Michael Jordan, the Pelé, or the Maradona, rather. I, I prefer Maradona, right? And, and and I think he would be above those guys at that point, which is just these guys are fighting to give their idol. Like, they, I, I can't even, like, the emotion is crazy. Like, they have an opportunity to go down in folklore as the kids who gave the guy who inspired them for they didn't think that they'd play with this guy they can now give him the trophy like it's not about them winning the world cup like they can be the guys that gave it to them to him the old man you know so it's like what's unfolding is like the most magical like thing i've ever seen in my life in any sport you know and it's not about pretty soccer it's not about that it's not man these guys will they'll do anything to win it's just it's remarkable it's, it's a fascinating topic that you're bringing up that we can probably explore a lot more and as you were describing some um yeah your thoughts i was writing down some notes so if you don't mind right because you had mentioned combat sports and that you always have to be a hundred percent there my initial reaction was hmm, great point i i agree with you you know there are dire consequences 
yeah. in combat sports versus in football. And also it's 1v1 instead of 11 versus 11, where in 11 versus 11, you can hide as an individual player. Absolutely. And, and then I thought about an alternative view. And the alternative view was, first off, I'm by no means an expert in combat sports or MMA or any, any of this, so grain of salt, but I'm just thinking out loud here. The story's about John Jones and you know he, how he would just party it up the night before or just do drugs or whatever and booze up and barely sleep at night and just show up the next day and just beat somebody down. So right. it's not like he was at 100% and he wasn't fully focused on being 100 in the ring. He's just right. kind of like, ah, I'm just going to roll on in there and beat somebody because he knew he was better than the rest, I presume, okay? And many a times I think that's the case with some of these pros, you know, so it may not necessarily be that they're making a lot of money. It's just like, I'm messy. I'm better than everybody. I, I can have that burrito tonight. You know, I'm, I'm still good tomorrow. Uh, I don't know if he, I don't know if he does that. He doesn't do that, but it's a thought that came across my mind when you mentioned combat sports. And then with respect to theater, I think almost everything in life is kind of theater. And John, that's that seems to be a realization I'm converging on. Uh, it's not totally crystallized in my mind. And so combat sports is a lot of theater. Is, I mean, it is theater. That's what you're selling. You're, you're selling entertainment. And I know you're talking more about the play acting, you know, or putting on a show instead of being 100% focused and things. But then what came to mind was Conor McGregor. You know, Conor McGregor, it was, in my opinion, a lot of theater, a lot of show, a lot of talking nonsense a lot of why to cash in right of course. You know, i'm sure it was part of his personality as well but to cash in and so you can contrast that with habib from my ignorant fan perspective and you know when habib's beating his ass he's talking to connor he's like now what now run your mouth you know and yeah. and, and connor's like oh it's just business it's just business so i don't know just that little bit of a devil's advocate if you will with what you mentioned in combat sports. No, yeah, absolutely. The, um, if you go down, like whatever, the beginning of human existence, even animals, they don't think to play with the ball. You know, that's something that we created to distract us from our daily routines. That's what soccer was created for back in the day, right? But before that, even warfare, right? There's, look at war. It's not entertainment. But what they, they, you have to give 100%. And what are you ultimately do, doing? You're competing. So like it's a micro, I think hand-to-hand -hand combat is a microcosm of war. It's just, I should also take my opinion with the grain of salt as far as the soccer, um, not always, the player's not always giving 100%. But then what I'm thinking about is like, then why, why, have why what makes Argentina different than any other team I've ever seen in my life right now? I've never seen this. I've never seen this because I think that they're they're operating at the whole like you said, every player in that locker room is operating at damn near a hundred percent. And it's not about anything else but they have one goal and it, and it, it's not yeah, they all want to win the World Cup. Every player in the in that you know, every player wants to win the World Cup, but it's on some like, if we don't, like, how are we going to live with ourselves almost, you know? This yeah, is no, I, I, I agree. I think it has transcended to a different level than others. They are, complete, they are completely unified and fighting for something greater than themselves. 
more so than others. Sure, the French, sure, the United States, they love their country and they want personal glory as well. And who knows what the other stakes are. But it seems like there is a little added ingredient. And knock on wood that these fuckers are able to win on Sunday because, I mean, it'll just be devastating for, for the country, for the players, for everybody involved. And like, that's why I was like, let's do this before. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it. Ha can they win? France can win five, nothing if they turn up. Right. Like, you know, yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's not going to happen. I was a betting man. I swear to God, I would empty my bank account on Argentina. It's wow, just, man. Like that. Gonna wow. happen. Yeah, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Those guys, those guys, are, they'll break Mbappe's legs if they have to, you know, and that's not a nice thing to say, but I'm not here to be a nice guy. You know? Yeah, but it's a it's a red card, and now you're ten versus eleven. Like you can't, you also can't be reckless. So it, yeah, they'll, know, take they'll take turns. They'll take turns. Why? One guy will whack him in the ribs. One guy will whack him on his legs. They'll do what they gotta do. Hey, something else that popped into my head that kind of not confirms your hypothesis, but is on the side of your hypothesis, is that the old school U.S. men's national team. I'm talking when it was the earliest generations, okay? And, and then even up to and including the Winaldas, the Reinas, the Tab Ramos, that whole school, the Ernie Stewart's, the Hugo Perez, the Brian McBride, like all those guys. The game wasn't mature here in the States in the sense of having an established league that can pay you $3 million a year or a million dollars a year or 700K a year, 600K a year, or whatever it was. So they were basically on peanuts, the guys who were here. And even the guys who were overseas, they weren't on huge contracts either. And so they had to bleed and fight like a motherfucker, you know, so on the world stage so that some club would notice them and be like, okay, I'm, I'm going to give you a much better payday, and, you know, yeah. to that extent. So I think, again, I wasn't one of those guys. I think there was that added drive there and maybe that's why so many people view me included that that old school u.s men's national team was a hard working blue collar salt mines with pickaxe trying to figure it out and scrape out whatever extra added energy they can scrape out versus now yeah they give it a go and yeah they have some fighting spirit no doubt it just feels different it's my style I mean, you know, it, 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 I'm I'm biased here. Give me that, give me that kind of team versus the new pretty one, and that goes for anything. I'm I'm Diego Simeone, Cholo Simeone. That's my blood. You know, that's what I would. That's that's in me. Like that's that's a DNA I I resonate with. And that's what if I was dealing with paid professionals, that's a probably the type of team you'd see me develop. But I'm I'm you know I deal with youth players, so I have a different uh, objective. Um. Because that doesn't require anything but hard work and concentration and buy-in. You know, you know, you might not always have the prettiest players, but that tactic or style works. Now, let me ask you something, Gary. The uh, it's very obviously it's like how can how can you compare, right? But who do you think played at a higher level? That team with Landon Donovan and those guys, or the team of that we saw two weeks ago? What comes to mind is I can take that question to different directions, the collective and the individual. If you look at it on an individual player by player basis, I think that this generation 
is challenging themselves more and is operating at a higher level on an individual perspective. So if you look at the guys in Europe, they're in Europe at a much younger age trying to crack it. And they're in full-blown competition there. There are, there, are, there are no freebies overseas. You really have to earn it. So Polisic, I don't care if we paid $60 million for you. I'm Chelsea now, right? I don't care if we paid $60 million transfer fee. If we think that the probability of getting points in the league or in the Champions League or whatever is higher with these other players, you ain't playing. I don't right. care. You know, so I think from that perspective, they're on better clubs at an earlier age. So that's a plus for the current generation. On the collective front, well, let me, let me not leave the individual front quite yet. Because one mistake I believe so many make is just comparing the U.S. of now versus the U.S. of old. Instead, and they say there's progress. Right, like oh, look at 1990. Oh, look at 94. Look at 2002. Look at 2006 or whatever, and compared to what we have now, and they want to claim progress. Yes, I think there has been progress and evolution, but that's not the right metric. You also have to look at how the other countries have progressed as well, and then compare country to country. So, who progressed more, the United States or Morocco? Right? Who who uh, improved more, the United States or Japan. So when we say things like the future is bright, we made all this progress with respect to ourselves. Okay, fine. But that, I don't think that's the right benchmark. You have to look at it globally to be able to say, have we caught up? Have we, have we really made strides here in our country? And I, I think the answer is no. So with respect to that, getting back to your question, Landon Donovan, Dempsey, all those trailblazers from the past, I think compared to their global counterparts, they're pretty much the same as our current crop are to their global counterparts. I don't think much has changed. I don't know if, I don't know if I'm answering your question or not, but that's the individual. On the team collective basis, I think we're pretty much the same. So um, when those teams were playing, I was a teenager, right? Or going into my early 20s, I'm 34. So like 2002, I was in eighth grade. And the game was on at whatever, four in the morning. And I was, I remember going to science class with one eye open first period. Right. Yeah. So, um, the, what I really have to go by from an analytical perspective is my, my mentor, the, the old guy I've referred to in the past, uh, and whose opinion I respect and almost, uh, I'm not ashamed to say that if I have an opinion and, 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 and the way that the respect I have for him, I probably take his opinion over my own just out of pure respect, like a father sure. figure, right? So when I hear him talk about, and he was a mature, right? He was at, that, he was 55, 60 in 2002, or he's, he's 80 now, 80, about 80 now. So um, he, uh, so when I hear him speak about those teams, he's like, he's, there's not a doubt in his mind that that team will wipe this team on the floor, like wipe them, wipe them. And it's not about it's it's when he looks at the game, he's not in. So when you, you have to understand when he um not you, but you know in general, sure, sure. Yeah, you know, when you have to understand when 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 you see cycles of the game of of the Brazil the when they the four two four, and then you saw Catanaccio, and you saw total football, and then you saw when you see all those cycles, there's fixed, um, there's like you know what, what, what word am I looking for? Um, there's themes, there's patterns. There's constants within the game, 
and the constants or the prevailing, yeah, you know, the prevailing parts of the game is the 50-50 balls. It's the inside the box, the instinct. And then when you're defending, you know, you, you have respect for the game and you defend your goal like it's a fort. You know, that's the prevailing aspects of the game, like for me. And I, when, he, when he says that, I don't even have a leg to stand on to try to counter him because how can you, it's like an, under, it's indisputable in my opinion, right? So when you look at those things, do you think we're more, you know, do you think that we're more progressive in transition, meaning, or I'm not progressive, but do you think that we've advanced in transition moments, meaning we win the 50 50 ball? Like, do you think that we're sharper in counter pressing than we were then? Do you think that we defend with more respect for the game? Do you think we have better strikers or goal scorers than Brian McBride and Dempsey and Donovan? I don't know. I don't think so, to be honest with you. And you know, I might be hanging myself here if you, you know, if someone if someone has a real argument. But I'm not really scared to like, you know, to say that because like I, I, from my, and all in humility, I don't know if I, uh, I can't see it. I just can't see it. You know, I don't, I don't see it myself. I saw many missed chances. I saw a lot of lack of instinct in the penalty area. And then I see the goalkeeper. I think he's a great, you know, he's a, he's a prospect, right? But I see him fucking around with the ball in the back, man. Like, when he doesn't have that kind of quality. And you see him make a couple of shaky mistakes. And, you know, and you see him freak out a little bit, right? I get it, you know. I, I Trust me, I, I have eight-year-olds. I'm like, play through the mistakes. Yeah, I get it, you know. I get it, man. Um. But at some point, when you're in the World Cup, man, like you know, you have to respect for the game. And if you lose that ball, it, you're out of the World Cup, you know. So it's like it's not about it's not about playing styles deeper than it's more about like do they respect the game? Meaning defend your net, attack theirs. Do they have that natural predator instinct, that talent to get the ball in the net by any means necessary? And do they win? Do they have that competitive warrior mentality to win the 50-50 balls and just fucking you know, run over, you know, win the game, you know, like, you know, make that game yours. Because at the end of the day, any one of those World Cup, any any team in that World Cup, in my opinion, if they just click for 30 days straight, they could win the World Cup. I think it's a difference in mentality. So um, what do you think about that? I, I will agree with you that it seems like this generation is not as hungry as the previous generation. I just want to be careful that... I'm not remembering the past with nostalgia. So for instance, 2002, when we beat Mexico and moved on to the quarterfinals, I remember where I was. I was in Palm Springs, family vacation with some friends of the family, and I locked myself in one of the bedrooms and I was just watching the game and I was rooting for the United States hard because back then I was in college. All my friends were Mexicans and they had Basically, the attitude that a lot of Americans here have now, which is, oh, we're good. We're so good. Like, we're candidates. We've made so much progress. Future is bright. Like, we can take on anybody. That's how all my Mexican friends were back then. And that's how the Mexican media was. And I just wanted to, to get slapped down. So I was hardcore United States. And when again, Mex uh, the United States won, I have those sorts of fond feelings of those teams and how hard they worked. So, so I want to be careful. And I was younger, and I didn't have the same eyeballs that I do now to analyze the game either. Exactly. That was my point. Exactly. That's the challenge. That is the challenge. Like, I don't know, like, what it really is. Right. So I'd have to go back and watch those games and look at them with the eyeballs that I currently have. And the other thing that I've actually been experimenting with in the masterclass 
is I'm making so many things black and white, like literally all the video or a lot of the video for, for the program, I make black and white. And so that you can't tell who's who or what's what basically. So you just see the players and you can't tell what team it is. You can't tell anything. So you're eliminating, or I'm trying to eliminate all potential biases out the window and just see the game for what it is and see the players for what they are. And I think that offers you an interesting sort of perspective and really focuses you. So it'd be super interesting to get one of those old school teams that you're referring to and one of the new teams and do what I'm doing to the video and see what people think or see what you think. Does that make sense? Like watch a whole game that way. It'd be fascinating to, to see what judgments come of it. So that's so interesting. So first of all, when I really want to get into a game, I watch it on mute. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You do that. Yep. Yeah. I, I just put it on mute. I'm like, I don't need you to tell me what to think. Like I'm when, a- when I'm scouting or trying to do analysis or I have my coaching hat on or something like that, if I just want to be a fan, then I, I try to enjoy it. Yes. And I put on Telemundo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then, um, the other, uh, the other thing is the the old man, my mentor, what he taught me to do when I was when I just started with him eight or nine years ago is uh if you, but you can't, I don't actually, you can't do it now. If you put it one speed fast forward and you watch the game uh, or even two speeds fast forward, you could see the pattern of the ball movement and you could see the, the team's ideas way clearer than if you watch it in real time. Cause you just see the ball doing the same use. It, it shrinks the, um, frequency, the time of the frequency of the patterns, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they happen quicker, the patterns. So it gives you a te- your brain, I think, recognizes it. It's easier to recognize if it happens quicker without interruption. So he used to do it on VHS by accident. He used to rewind, uh, you know, he would re- want to rewatch the game seven times. So he used to watch Milan in reverse to, to get to the beginning of the tape, right? And he noticed the same patterns and so he started watching it in fast forward and that's how he ended up watching games like that sometimes so um it's funny that you said that very very similar concept that's cool that you said yeah yeah man i'm trying to figure out ways to teach and how best to teach and how to accelerate because uh, the master class is for parents particularly parents of youth players to just up their level of discernment and education and put it on warp speed so to speak so they don't actually have to go through their entire kid's youth career from say U9 to U18 and then reflect back and be like, oh, if I only knew when my son was 13, what I know now that he's 18 and off to college, or whatever, man, I could have guided them so much better. I'm trying to put their progress on, on a super steep learning curve and warp speed so that they're caught up and they can make smart decisions when their kid is 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 and then guide them better. There's no guarantee that the kid's going to be a pro. Obviously, that's very difficult. But I think what we can accomplish is they'll be smarter consumers and their kid, I mean, in my opinion, has a better chance of the cliche fulfilling their potential, right? Versus if the parent doesn't, you know, has to, has to spend years and years and years figuring things out organically. Yeah. Um, you, probably, you might know this quote. What's that quote? I think who says it? It's a... Uh... Running a business is like building an airplane while you're flying. Yeah, Who's, for sure. Who says that? I, th- I think that might be a quote from Mark Andreessen, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's like jump off a cliff and assemble a plane before you yeah, die, so you know, plummet to your death. That's kind of what parents are doing, right? Because there, there's no pause button. 
and you're going through it and every year that goes your kid is growing and he's thing you know it's crazy and then not to like change the subject but what's crazy is coaches operate in those crevices right so your kid you you fucked up somehow right you fucked up i banked on you right the next parent falls for the same trap that you got sold to sold on right the same trap because the gener the, the gap between the two parent of different generations there's no communication so this they fall for the same frauds and yeah. it, 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 people live in that and i see it with my i see it i don't i'm not the type to knock anybody or talk about bad about colleagues for better or for worse um but you you know what i mean there's always a new sucker yeah exactly there's always a new sucker. So the old sucker graduates and you get a new sucker in here and, and you as a club, and I'm the same way. I don't want to talk trash on co colleagues or whatever, but it's kind of like the nature of this business, right? Youth soccer in the States, it's operating on a certain business model, pay to play, because there's no promotion relegation at the pro level, a topic that is huge topic for another day or whatever, but because there's no promotion relegation at the pro level, the dominant business model at the youth level is pay to play. And so if it's pay to play, your customer is the parent and you need to have the parent keep paying every year, you know, the thing. So the clubs and the coaches and the DOCs from a pure survival perspective, they hone their craft on how to keep the parents there and happy somehow. So they have all these narratives crafted to make the parent all warm and fuzzy inside or, or have them stick around. And so the old sucker graduates, John, and then the new sucker comes in and you as the DOC or the club executives or the club directors or the coach, you now have an extra year of experience of how to keep the parent there. You see, so, so the, the level of bullshit optimization has increased year over year over year from the huh. actors in the, in the system. So yeah, man. So that is the situation that we're all living with, unfortunately. And this is why so many, I think, don't like me very much because I'm trying to break at all of this. I try to break the coaching, the coaching education. And I think, you know, I think we've helped a lot of coaches across the country to be more quote unquote successful, whatever that means. Okay. And in the process also change the perception of what is possible here in youth soccer in, in the States. So that was number one. People didn't like us, John. People did not like us. And now... The idea is to do the same thing with the parents. Hey, parents, let me put you on this rocket ship of understanding is to the point where you can navigate all of this that we just discussed a lot better and not be taken advantage of so easily. I won't be surprised if that has more uh, impact reach and impact in, in, in the soccer community, because at the end of the day, those are the decision makers. Yeah. Um, and you could kick and scream all you want if you're a coach. But if the, the parents, the, the parents act as players agents at the end of the day. Yes. They, they assess the, the landscape and people don't even know what they're doing with yeah. to them. And they just fucking guess they throw darts with their kids, you know, well, not well being, but you know, their soccer careers. And yeah. Quote, quote. So, yeah. No, it's fucking crazy. And it doesn't end in youth. Even at the pro level, we have, oh man. We have the same stuff going on. I mean, I have nothing against parents, all respect. You know, it's probably the hardest job in the world. You know, you're trying to raise another life form, a human being 
into this world, but you don't know anything. And yeah. you're basically guessing and you're yeah. guiding the future of this person with, with a blindfold on basically. And I'm trying my best to take off the blindfold or at least cut a hole in the blindfold so that they can have one, you know, a little bit of light going through it. Oh, my boy. Let me hop off here. Peace, brother. Have a great night. Thank you again, John. You too, my man. Well, that's it for today, guys. Thank you for listening. A reminder for coaches, you can get both the free and premium coaching programs at 343coaching.com. Don't let anyone tell you your teams can't win by playing dominant possession-based football while also developing individual players to the highest levels. Nonsense. We've proved it at every single level and so have hundreds of serious member coaches across the country. Now that we've moved on to the pro level, we're delivering everything we've learned in the program. Don't wait and continue delaying getting on a proven path. And parents, 343masterclass.com is where you want to go to get a working compass for navigating the American soccer landscape with your player. It's pretty bad out there, but let our experience guide you. And if you're interested in a solution that blends both academics and soccer, there's even the opportunity to do this in Europe as well. To learn more, visit acceleratorschool.com. Until next time, cheers everyone and keep building.